Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ding, ding. Swinging a shot over the bag at third. That's a fair ball. That's going to get one run in. Here comes another run. Anderson running to third. He gets the stop sign. Now he's got to get back to third. And he just beat the tag by Sano. And Abreu has a double that scores a pair. And it's actually 4 nothing. I think it was a little bit more reflected on uh, how many pitches he kind of overthrew and left up on his own. You know, we, we know that the command at times can be a little um, sketchy to get what's gotten into problems along the way. But, yeah, you know, the second inning just kind of deteriorated a lot of ways between, you know, free passes and hard hit balls. And we missed a chance on that pop-up. It kind of fell in between, in between three guys. So, you know, it uh, put us in a rough spot early. All right, Matthew Collar. I went to Target Field last night so I could say I was there for the first start of Steven Gonzalez's uh-huh. uh, big league career. I tuned in. Yep, I was very did you? excited. Yep. It didn't last long. No, it did not. Eating in a third. That was, uh, I actually, um, among the, the feelings, I think my biggest takeaway, empathy. I felt bad for him. 25 yeah. family members there. It's your first big league start. He said post game his leg was shaking basically on the back of the mound. I actually, there were some boos. I felt bad for the kid. You're watching that and you're just thinking, okay, just get the two more outs. And he couldn't even come close to it. Yeah, you could tell in the first inning he got a strikeout to end the inning on a changeup that was at the guy's shoulders. Yes. Like, you know. I'm going to guess that that changeup was not supposed to be at his shoulders because that's not where usually changeups are thrown. Mm-hmm. And it, it was kind of a sign of like, this kid looks really nervous because he's overthrowing that changeup. And then it started to show up as he went along. Roy Smalley tweet uh, from last night. He was not working the game for FSN North, but he did tweet this out. And I thought it was um, instructive at the very least. He tweeted, Gonzalez is a fastball changeup pitcher, to your point right there. And nerves or not, almost all of his changeups were belt high or higher. It's impossible to be effective that way. So at this point, we can't have much of an opinion about all his stuff at this level. He's going to get another start. I am, because immediately last night you heard, oh boy, this kid can't throw hard enough. He, do- he doesn't have it. I think we just have to wait. I think we just have yeah. to wait. I mean, yeah. you can't, pay, but there's sometimes you see a guy get shelled and you're like, that was a mess and this guy's terrible. I think in the case of this, uh, at one time, at least pretty highly touted prospect, that what Smalley tweets there is is not an apologist. It's actually a guy trying to explain. And to what you're saying, if let's see what he can do with the change up down, without his leg shaking. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm willing to bet start two, he's going to be a bit more calm than start one. 
Uh, but yeah, that was tough to watch. And the White Sox are not good, but they can hit a little bit. So. Yeah, I I thought that he was in trouble in the first when he couldn't get the changeup down because I, I don't know a ton about him, just what our guy Jake has written and then what the broadcast was saying. But they were saying, oh, he's all fastball changeup, like that's his big thing. Like okay. <laughs> All right, well, if he can't get the changeup down, then he's in trouble. But as far as what you take away from it, yeah, I mean, I think it was a pretty obvious case of nerves and then combined with bad luck. Mm -hmm. That pop-up that lands in between three guys, you couldn't have drawn a spot on the field better for that thing to fall into where three people wouldn't be able to get it just by a few feet. It's not like that was hard hit or anything. And if that doesn't happen, maybe he calms down and maybe he gets together and gives you five with a couple runs. But... After that, it seemed like it really fell apart. Oh. This is going to be our lives, though, Judd. Yeah, I know. the twins. I know. Our baseball lives will be, I know. oh, right. there's someone new starting. And mm-hmm. look, he's shaking out there and crying a little <laughs> for his major his league mom's, debut. his mom's upset because she's there and she's trying <laughs> to watch this garbage. I, I know. No, you're right. No, this is going to be the rest of this year is essentially going to be, can people even begin to figure things out? Can Byron Buxton come back? Yeah. You're right. This is it. Uh, the last two nights, or the last two days, I should say, Sunday and last night at Target Field, have been very instructive on one thing. If you're a baseball fan and you are an old school, let the home plate umpire call balls and strikes because, damn it, it's how God invented the sport and it's how it's meant to do be. And the electronic strike zone's a terrible idea. The last two days have been an advertisement for why we need an umpire to stand back there and call balls and strikes when instructed by the computer what they were. Mm. It's awful. The last two games have been awful. Now, the umpire last night was a guy by the name of uh, Nick Marley, M-A-H-R-L-E-Y. Never heard of him. Don't care if I do again. And you watch these games, and this is why you have the technology, right? The technology exists. You've got that strike zone right there. All a guy like Nick Marley has to do is stand back there, and he can still be the home plate umpire because there might be calls to make. But as far as balls and strikes go, these last two games have been the very reason why you can't just say, like, ah, it's still fun. It's st-. No, it's not. It's painful to watch these guys try and umpire home plate and call balls and strikes when we have the technology to actually make this work. I've come around on this. I, I didn't want robo-umps. For a very long time. I also still hate replay. Any kind of replay all the time. But I understand that it is necessary. It's just when it's May and somebody traps a ball in the outfield. And then we've got to take 14 minutes to figure out whether he trapped the ball. We had one of those last night too, by the way. Two and a half minutes. That makes me upset. Because I just can't possibly watch that. Yes. So we need to have some rationale when it comes to this stuff and understand like what the fans want. Mm -hmm. The fans do not want the pitcher to get jobbed over and over by an umpire or a hitter. So there is that. Uh, And I think that they would be more accepting of let's just have the digital strike zone. Call it. We, it adjusts for everybody's height and then it's all set Mm -hmm. and we're good there. And the guy just makes the call for whatever it tells him to make the call. I'm I'm all right with that. It feels weird, but I want them to get it right as much as possible. I would also say that there's there are a bunch of guys who do this, and we have all the data on who's good at it and who isn't. 
And there are guys who are getting 90-plus percent of these pitches right. I know where you're going with this, and I agree with it. So It's what you should do right now, immediately. How about we pay them based on how good they are at yes. it, for one. Yes. And also, the guys who are really good at it, we know who they are. How about have them do it much more often? Maybe they get more breaks than other guys. Maybe they get more vacation time than other guys. Yep. But that's because they have this the top skill, so they get rewarded. Instead of we just go in a little circle and only oh, you're on third base, then you're at home, and this guy's getting 70% right, screwing over everybody, and then the next guy, the next night is awesome, and he's getting 95% right. And that's what they should do right now. C.B. Buckner and Angel Hernandez should never get the plate again in their lives. If they have to be, if you can't fire them, if you don't have the ability to fire them or don't feel that you can, they should never be behind home plate a night or a day game again in their lives. Uh, baseball's baseball's replay issues could be fixed, I think, to what you're saying pretty simply here. It's twofold, and it would cost more, but I don't give a damn. Number one, do not you do not have to get on um, 1970s stereo headphones back to New York to find out yes. if your call was right or wrong. Yeah. You have another umpire travel with you who is a replay umpire who is in the press box or in a booth. He's in a booth, okay? But he's at the stadium, and he is the one that can trigger replays, and also he is the one that can immediately look and say, right call, wrong call. Yeah. This whole thing of having to call back to New York central office, which, by the way, is then administered by replay officials that's who are on an umpire crew. They're not replay officials. Can I tell you, the best stupid job in sports is the person who now carries the little replay TV or the replay. I see them all the time the, at Target the, Field. The, the re, there's the, the replay headphones. They've got the vest. And then they stand there and they've, they've got, got the their vest. And they just kind of look around. Yeah. My favorite is to see, what, job. to see what they're looking at. Like, are they looking up to see? Like, are they curious? They have no impact on it. But are they like, well, are they going to show the replay up on the big board? Or are they sort of like trying to make small talk? Like, oh, hey, Ted, how's your kids? You know, just like. What? No, well, I think they're that, supposed to shut up. They just look no, around. I think they're supposed to be what quiet. What a great job. I think you're supposed to be very quiet while Joe West puts on the on the headphones from his Panasonic in 1975. And then either plays Rolling Stones or he talks to a guy who says, Joe, that was a really bad call. And Change it. The person in the football who wears the vest that has the TV yes. on it is great. I want that for like a Halloween costume. I just want to walk around with like Oh, you TV. easily could yeah. do it this year. Maybe I will. We're going to have a lot That's a of good replays. Idea. I think we will. Did you see Sean McVay? I'm sorry to change subject. Yeah. But like Sean McVay now wants all of these hit, helmet hits we're gonna get to this, reviewed. Yes. So we're going to have even more review, which is exactly in, the last thing I ever wanted in sports in my entire life is more reviews. In fact, that is a great segue. Ding, ding. Yeah, it's going to cost some people some jobs. Playoffs, jobs, whole, whole bit, I'm guessing. But... Uh, you know, we're going to keep trying to, I mean, we haven't had any call on us so far, but, um, you know, I just, it's just hard to figure out. I think when they're, you know, kind of the egregious, the head down, the linear posture, uh, those, those, yeah, you know, I, I get it with those. And then there's other ones that, um, you know, I think from a rational standpoint, there's really, it, it, they don't make sense. Um, and I think that needs to be needs to continue to be worked on. Uh, otherwise, it's, you know, it's going to be almost every play. Um, not resistant to these changes. They just need to be um, physically possible, I guess. <laughs> Matthew Collar, I read to you from uh, Chris Mortensen, missive last night, ESPN.com. 
Amid confusion and angst about the new helmet contact rule, the National Football League is having daily dialogue about the application in preseason games, league sources told ESPN. The league will also assemble an updated video tutorial that will be distributed to game officials, coaches, and players once the final preseason games are played and in time for teams preparing for their regular season openers, according to sources. After all of the angst and uh, all of the people that you talked to about this yesterday at TCO Performance Center, have you changed your opinion that this very well could be a problem into the season, or are they going to get this to a point where we don't have to uh, to be very concerned about it by week three? I What do you think? I think that it will still be resolved. Mm-hmm. That, that's where I'm at. I am not going to panic. I know that the players and Mike Zimmer... Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith, who you heard there, they're all confused and they're all frustrated. And it really isn't even the sack that we played a million times that they were mad about. They actually understood that one. They were like, okay, I guess there was the turf pump that we talked so much about yesterday. And that is actually a band name of mine. I was going to just say, that sounds like a band, the turf pumps. Um, But... It was, it was actually one where the Jaguars got flagged for tackling C.J. Ham, and no one could figure out what the Jaguars player did wrong. Yeah, That that was where they were like, come on, now what, how are we even supposed to do this? Because they're talking about not getting the head down, but naturally your head kind of gets brought down. It's just they can't quite figure it out. But this is all the conversation that needs to happen when they try to introduce something like this. And I think what Chris Mortensen was saying is that this is kind of a longer play to introduce it, get all the feedback from everybody, maybe back off it a little bit, and then slowly train every retrain everybody how to But is there time tackle. to do it? But okay, but my question is we're we're uh what, two weeks out from the regular season starting? Is there time to do this? Like I this think is so. this yeah. is a lot to this is a lot to ask of players who have done something a certain way for their whole lives. I get it when the next wave, when the kids who are playing football now come up, I get that they're going to be much different in how they tackle and observe things. But if you've been doing something a certain way your whole life, but now it's completely changed, and now we're to late August, and your and your regular season starts September 9th, is there time to do all this? Yeah, I think they just need to be a little You're more, much more optimistic I, about this. Than I, I just am. think they need to be a little more clear on what it is that is a penalty and what's not, and they need to listen to the players because Harrison Smith was talking about this yesterday and said when they had the meetings, they all watched like with the referees, they all watched a bunch of film. And they said, okay, yes, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yep. And they had certain plays where everyone in the room said, you're right, we don't want that in the game. That's going to get people hurt when you are, the, the way he put it was having your body sort of linear, like launching yourself into someone quote. else's head. Yeah. Yeah, Harrison Smith occasionally okay. flashes how intelligent he is. This is why, this is why, just quickly, I know that this is serious. Harrison Smith gave you guys a really, really deep, insightful quote about this. Yeah. This yeah. is how I, but this He's, is how I know this is serious. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. ordinarily because he, he tries not to. Ordinarily he if he didn't care that much about this and thought that you guys were all overreacting, Harrison Smith would say, It's gonna be fine. We just play football. Something like that. But instead he gave you guys a deep, well thought out quote that leads me to believe that he is very concerned because the position he plays, he has no idea right now how to play it. Yeah, right, and that's everybody's problem. Is so they sat in a room and they watched uh, everything like that the referees had to say in the tape, and a lot of them were 
in total agreement with most of the things that were being presented. But when it comes to putting them actually into practice, that's where the league has struggled. But I also think the league has tried to call everything they see that might be something, and then they can all go back and they can have conference calls and they can have emails and everybody could say, okay, this was the one that worked, this was the one that that didn't. And as Kevin Seifert told us yesterday, this has happened many times. It's just that this one in particular seems to be the one that has really caught fire and everyone is talking about and has become a top storyline because there have been some really bad ones. Mm -hmm. But I think in the regular season, they're being a little overdramatic to say it's going to cost people jobs and things like that now. I think by the middle of the season, we will forget we ever talked about this. How confident are you that the National Football League is going to get this right? 651-646-8255, 651-646-8255. The show is Mackie and Judd. It's going to be a Zolgad and Collar for the first two hours. Phil joins at 11. Let's come back and discuss more about the expectations that we should have for the NFL and this uh, helmet contact rule, 651-646-8255. Also, want to get your thoughts on the Vikings' decision at kicker yesterday, Matthew. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley On 1500 ESPN. Join us for Hubbard Broadcasting Day at the Minnesota State Fair. Hubbard will be taking over Dan Patch Park Saturday, August 25th, and 1500 ESPN will be on stage from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Judd and Matthew Collar kick it off with a live edition of Saturday Sports Talk. Afterwards, Phil Mackey takes the stage with Jumpin' Jim Brunzel from noon to 1, and then finally a live edition of the Beer Show with Reavers and Fred Loney rounds out the day. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. points as it's blocked by Robinson and instead of seven to nothing it's six to nothing you know Kai did a great job while he was here he's a good kid um, you know but we just decided to go with uh, with Daniel all right Matthew Collar your thoughts on the very unsurprising decision by the Vikings that became official yesterday Kai Forbath is out Daniel Carlson the guy they traded up for uh, in the fifth round to get is the kicker. As I said, not a surprise. Still don't know if I love it. I don't know how to feel about it because I can't predict the future, Judd. And this is one of the hardest things about decisions like this is if you're asking me which guy was the better kicker throughout training camp and then brings more to the kickoffs, which will be, I think, a little more exciting this year, possibly, that we'll get more kick returns. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, but some of the rule changes might offer some increase in the kick returns, and I think that was very important to the people that designed the rules. It's like, let's try to get some more kick returns going here. Let's see if we can offer some benefit for the defensive team to actually kick this thing off. And Carlson was very good at that. He was very good at kicking it off, and then he nailed all of his field goals. He missed a handful of them in camp but so did Kai Forbath. I thought they were about neck and neck, and then Forbath goes out there and he doinks one from from 41, and I don't know what to make of that. I mean, is that really the way to decide on something? But then again, how else would you decide on, on something like that? What it was more about is, can Daniel Carlson prove he could kick in the NFL? And so far, he has. He has not been a bus fire. But when you ask Carlson about you know the pressure kicks and things like that, you know his answer is, well, I mean, every kick in camp has pressure. Every kick in preseason has no. pressure. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, sure it does. Um, 
not compared to what it was like for Kai Forbath to nail one from 50-whatever it was last year, 52, yeah. in the divisional playoff game. The miracle that's, does not happen without Kai, For- Kai Forbath. Yeah, and he deserves yeah. credit for that. And I thought he was a very good kicker. I really did. I, I mean, he was close to 90% for his field goals. The extra points were a problem, but am I supposed to think that he couldn't resolve that problem? I don't know. It was pretty clear, though, to me that when they brought Carlson in, not only was Forbath done, but that it really weighed on him. I mean, you just looked at him in practice and in camp walking around, and Carlson, I don't know what their relationship was like. It looked like they were talking all the time, so maybe they did have a good relationship and he was helping the kid and things like that. I think kickers understand the deal, that they have to prove themselves every single year unless they're Adam sure. Vinatieri. It was unbelievable. Yeah, still, ki- still out there kicking. kicking. Yep, still out there kicking. monster shots. But it Unless you're him, you know, you've got to go through this every single year. And Forbath was only supposed to make like 750K. And it's just not the most glorious job out there. But every time he would line up, I, it looked like he was stiff. And when he would miss kicks, you, you just thought, oh, man, that he, he he's devastated because he thinks that that's the job being lost right there. He did not seem like a guy who was very comfortable. So it was almost like. You hope he just gets another job pretty soon, and then he's kicking for someone else because I do think that he was a good kicker. Football! Football, yeah! yeah. Right. Football! I want to get football geeky yeah. right now because I want to take this uh, Carlson discussion to the next level. Oh, boy, next level. All right, next level discussion on the kicker. So so we're not just talking about... Do we have, like, next level music, might, James? Or I don't think there is. No. I, I just think there's this, because this is everything. Oh, that, that's when it's going to the next yeah, level? Football. Yes, that's what I... Yeah, that, that oh, was okay. that case. All right. You like that? You like that? And if it's football, you do like that. So here's the next level discussion of this. It seems to me that... When Rick Spielman sits down to draft, Rick has a philosophy which he does not stray from, which is really has has most of both feet rooted in the development of the future, Matthew, and and thus thus when you could trade up in the second round to get a guard because you have a a Super Bowl-type roster, you still don't do that because you don't want to lose draft picks that you deem to be important for the future. It includes saying to yourself, well, this kicker, Carlson, has a big leg, and if we can develop him, he's going to be really, really good, and he might be really good right, right away, but I think a rational person also says, okay, but he also is coming off a tough year in the SEC, and he's got a huge leg, but there's a chance that in the first couple of years he might struggle a bit. Do you think, in your football analyses, that there should be more flexibility given? And I'm I'm not saying that you make dumb moves in drafts, but what I am saying is there should be more flexibility given to where your current predicament resides. Because, to me, that's what I don't necessarily understand about the Vikings 2018 draft. Mm-hmm. It, it, resides to, it resides, I think, in saying we're still really worried about the future, and I look at it and say, yeah, I agree with that. But there were certain moves that you, I think, could have crafted for 2018, given what this roster looks like right now and given what was was needed and or necessary. Well, if we're talking about the fifth round, the chance that you get someone who's going to contribute as a rookie is pretty low. You did get Stefan Diggs fairly recently in the fifth round, so there is that. But all the other fifth rounders, there's there are not a whole lot of players who, as rookies who jump in and you say, 
oh yeah, win now, got to have that fifth rounder, because sure. usually the guy ends up being a backup, a special teamer, some something like that. Like, oh, they should have drafted another lineman. Well, they did draft a lineman in the sixth round who's a good prospect and hasn't even come close to indicating that he's going to be any sort of player for this team, Colby Gossett. And so when you get past maybe the third round, there isn't much of a shot that the guy's really going to do anything. Um, in the, in his first year, that's going to need some development. So when it comes to that, they drafted the fifth rounder who might have the most impact of anyone in the league this year in Daniel Carlson. Right. Um, it, so that's that's part of it is, okay, well, if the guy turns out to be a great kicker, then you look good. Um, usually drafted but kickers are all over the map, so it's hard to that, say. On that, what I'm saying is this. I think you take you trade your sixth round pick, or I'm, I'm sorry, you, you trade your fifth round picks and get and trade up to get uh, Carlson. What I'm saying is that to me, they drafted a kicker that, that they said I think he can be good in the present, but he's certainly going to be our kicker long term for the future. And what I'm saying is all I'm concerned about, given your roster and you're finishing 2017, Matthew. All I'm concerned about is this: is this the best possible kicker for the present? Like I don't care about 2019 kicking right now. And I feel like they did. So I'm not trying to say that that there, there should have been a different philosophy. But I will say this. If you could have used the Carl, the pick you eventually uh, got and took Carlson with and coupled those together to get up in the second round to get a guard, I sure as heck would have done that. Well, they could have done that. That's yeah. what I'm saying. is yeah. I, I would have put more of a premium on the immediate, on the immediate than the future at certain junctures of the 2018 draft. Well, so and to that, then Carlson's not really even a part of that conversation um, because a rookie kicker could probably just perform as well as anybody else. I mean, kicking in college is a little different. It's got its tweaks, but it's not that much different. So that's kind of out of the conversation if we're talking about how they drafted in the first two rounds. That's what it's really about. What it's really about is... Could they have picked Will Hernandez to be their guard? Because right now, the offensive line, I wrote about at our website all the different combinations that are possible for this offensive line, and it's still totally up in the air right now with how how this offensive line is. If they had drafted Will Hernandez, then we would know exactly what the offensive line is with really no question. You would have just replaced uh, Joe Berger with Will Hernandez, and we should never forget how good Joe Berger really was. Like Over the three years, they had so many problems, and he was the one consistent guy at multiple different positions. He was a, he was a really good player. Uh, so when you're talking about the draft philosophy, it has nothing to do so much with Carlson as the top of the draft is still questionable, especially since Mackenzie Alexander got hurt and Terrence Newman took his spot playing nickel on the first team. And he was doing that in practice yesterday. So that tells me that even though Mike Hughes has made progress and they're excited about him, his actual impact in 2019 or 2018 might be pretty low. He might not actually have an impact on this team, similar to Alexander and Trey Wayans, until two to three years from now. Sure. And that is probably the area where I would agree with you and say they should have switched their draft philosophy to someone who could have made an impact now. What was your best guess about uh, with, with the injuries and all that's gone wrong, the offensive line combinations that they're going to, going to oh, uh, land on? Oh, I've got on. a bunch of them. Well, what's your, fa- what's your favorite one that we weren't expecting? 
Um, my favorite one that I think might qualify under as hot of a take is that you can have you got five, maybe you got five of them. Four, I've got five, and you then got five different but, combinations. But then, of course, people come in with more of them. And I'm like, look, I could have just made the whole article all different li- <laughs> Like, there are many mathematical permutations to this. I understand uh, that, but I think my favorite, yeah. is moving Mike Remmers back out to tackle. Because the thing that will impact your wins and losses most, I called my friend Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, on this. Mm -hmm. The thing that will impact it the most is how you pass protect. And even though Riley Reef and Mike Remmers were not A-plus pass protectors last year, they're both proven to be solid tackles. Rashad Hill is not. And Brian O'Neill is not. So I think I would probably go with Riley Reef at left tackle. Yep. Unfortunately, Tom Compton, the left guard, at least he's a he's a veteran who has done this before. Mm-hmm. Pat Elfline at center, Danny Isadora, I think has been good in the preseason at right guard, and then Mike Remmers at tackle. That's what I would go with. I have no idea what they're going to go with. What would you do then? As, so when when final cuts are made and guys are waived, and, and there will probably be a halfway decent guard available, which one would you replace then? If you possibly could, Compton. Compton, yep, because he's never really been a starter. I mean, he's mixed in. He played nine games one year. He played five Cousins last buddy. year. He is they're close. Good, they're he good friends. Close they talk Cousins. about the moon phases a lot. He's perfect as a fill-in. Uh-oh, someone got hurt, and we need somebody this yeah. week, and it's Tom Compton because he's ready and he's smart. The other guy that, you know, Aviant Collins has played quite a bit here in preseason. That's another uh, possibilities to have him play left guard and then you know Remmers at the right tackle. But I like the idea of putting someone that I trust at right tackle and just punting on this whole he's going to move to guard thing. He's a good guard. He might be a little above average as a guard. I'm totally at best. with you on this. But we need I agree him at, completely. You need him at tackle. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no. I agree, and I think you can find. I think the the ask of moving Hill to right tackle with how good a, a lot of uh, defensive ends that he's going to face are is too much. Yeah, that's I right. Think it's just going to be too much. Now, there does that mean that there are certain games that he can't start? Absolutely not. He could start some games and be fine. But if you look at the 16 game schedule, there's going to be games where he's going to get destroyed. I think. And all of a sudden, there the Vikings feel like if you put Remmers at right tackle, then you have depth at that position. Because Riley Reef, like this hasn't been brought up, I think, by anyone. Riley Reef has been really bad the preseason. Like, I mean, especially the last game. Well, didn't you say that, that he actually had the fall off started in the second half of last season, too? Yeah, he was hurt. I mean, he, I think, had an ankle and a back issue. Yeah, he had a back both. for sure. Yeah. I mean, he was hurt his final year with Detroit at playing at, at the right tackle position. And I think ultimately they would love to have him at right tackle instead of on the left side. Yep. So if Riley Reef gets hurt or doesn't play well, you feel like you have guys who can take that spot and you're not going to have your season go to hell. Um, but at least where we're starting, the starting spot, I think that protecting the passer is number one. And if they're focused on having Remmers as a run blocker because they think that's where the offense starts, then I have a problem with that because that's not where offense starts in the NFL. It's protecting the passer is your most your important thing. $84 million dollar investment, you right. think? Yes. But teams are still... You, you they think can still they might want like to think that. about that? Teams can still be and he like can't that. move. You know who's going to be really important this year? This is, this is like... Training. Can you get the football thing? Oh, of like, course. You got that oh, no, there. Of course, I've got available. it available. Yeah, nope. because this is. I'm going to get so Wait. football on you right now. Next level. Football. football this is next yeah, level. Next level. Football. We're going next level all show today, as far as I'm concerned. Even all if it hour. is Remmers at right tackle, which I don't think it's going to be. I think yep. it's going to be Rashad Hill. Yep. 
David Morgan. Hold on. Yes. Football. Football. Number two yeah. tight end, baby. But in all seriousness, David Morgan is going to be really important because he's going to have to be the guy that really helps them in their pass protection. The way that their line is right now in in both running and pass protection, and Morgan is one of the absolute best in the NFL as far as blockers go, he will be valuable because if you look at the five combinations that I threw out there, none of them make you happy. None of them give you joy in your day. I think the one you, you gave me, though, at least... I think I could sleep at night if I was uh, Mike Zimmer with Reimers at right tackle. Yeah. Especially knowing I could probably replace Compton. I think you could find a guy. I think I still think they're going to trade for a guard. I do too. Yep. I don't think they want Tom Compton to start 16 which games is, this year. Which is very fair. I mean, that's it's too much of an ask to do that. You were 13 and 3 last year. You can't, you got to take this seriously. The other option. Like, there's no, oh, well, we still won nine games. No, that's not going to work. And, and this I'm not a fan of, but yeah. this I could totally see is because Danny Isadora has played pretty well at right guard, hmm? that they could move Remmers back to the left guard position where no, he played no, in the playoffs. No, no. I I'm just it. saying it's possible. I, it. I don't like they it. They moved him to left guard in the playoffs last year for the first time in his career. And I, I, I will stand by the fact that it was a mistake. Let me, let me ask you a question. Has any sports radio station in the country talked about the offensive line as much as we have the last two years? Seattle, maybe? Because that, that's the I one, mean, that's just, the one thing. It's crazy that it can't John be figured Schneider out. John Schneider and Pete Carroll showed no concern there either. And Russell Wilson, it's maddening because he's mobile and he still has to completely run for his life on a weekly basis. I would say if you want to do a rank them of the sports talk radio shows around the country, individual markets that have talked O-line, we're way up there. Seattle, oh, last year, I guarantee it, Giants. Oh, I bet WFAN yeah. hammered that because that, also, that line was awful. They don't really, they don't touch Eli. Like Eli is pretty untouchable in New York. Yep. So they had to hammer everything else. Even though Eli didn't play well, he really was in trouble. I'm very interested to see what happens with. Oh, Patrick. by the way, I am looking. I am. I, I uh, actually found this this morning. Five teams. Okay, here it is. For the win. Five NFL teams that should trade for Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, okay. Five teams. Let's do that next, yes, because Teddy fever is spreading throughout the country. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. I'm Phil Mackie. If you hate Phil, I'm fine with that. If Phil's a first-class jerk, if he's an ass and that's how you feel about it, that's fine. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd is actually a Zolgad and Matthew Collar until 11 o'clock this morning, and then Phil will join the show. Jason Stark makes his weekly appearance at 11.30 after being away last week, so we'll talk baseball with Stark, and I'm sure get some trivia in at 11.30. All right, I've got the list right here. It's for the win. Let's see who authored this. Steven Ruiz. And this comes, Matthew, after a report by the New York Daily News yesterday that at least two teams... Unnamed teams have inquired about Teddy Bridgewater from the Jets, and one of the guesses mystery teams. The guesses were the guesses were Denver to be Keenum's backup. And awkward. I know, very awkward. And the other guess was New England, but then the author of the piece in the New York Daily News immediately dismissed that and said, "There's no way that the Jets would trade with the Patriots," which I pro- believe is probably true. I don't know. So, here are your five teams. 
And let's start from, I'm going to uh, scroll down I to I mean, when it comes to a situation here. like that, why wouldn't they? Just because they hate him. Yeah, they do, they do hate him, but if it's like second round pick, okay. Yeah, I wonder what they. I wonder what Bill would give the Jets though, because Bill hates the Jets too. It, would he be trying to recoup the second or get another second after that's what he got for Jimmy Garoppolo? Or do you you know what I mean? Like, would he be moving that same second round pick? Like, oh, so he I don't gets know. a second for Garoppolo, then sends a second for Bridgewater. I think you're right. Bridgewater to Denver would be really interesting because Bridgewater, as well as he's played, actually could make a bid eventually to beat out Case. But anyway. Yeah, he could. Yeah. Okay, top five uh, potential landing spots for Teddy. Number five, the New York Giants. Uh, Obviously go in as Eli's backup and then eventually. Shermer. He knows Shermer quite well. Transition. Exactly right. Number four, the Saints. Behind Drew Brees for a, another year or so, okay, and then Drew yeah. Brees retires. Yeah, yeah. That offense actually runs. I like it. Yeah, runs. You know, I mean, I think the transition from uh, Drew to Teddy would be pretty smooth, don't you? Yeah, I agree. Yep, they've sort of reworked that offense to highlight Drew Brees's current talents. Maybe at one time he was a little better at working the ball down the field. Now they kind of have to pick their spots, mm-hmm. and they don't make him make a ton of throws. And then when he's asked to do it, he does it brilliantly. But it's not like all game long he's throwing into tight windows. Last year they got Elvin Kamara the ball in the backfield, a lot of throws, and he just took off. I think actually Breeze had the shortest air yards per throw. But he could still make all the amazing right. throws. It was just they were kind of like, okay, you're a million years old, and let's not have you – be forced to make all these throws. Mm-hmm. But with Bridgewater, yeah. I mean, a guy that doesn't have the absolute strongest arm but is very accurate, has great pocket presence, great intelligence, he would be perfect for sitting behind Drew Brees for this year and then taking over. Number three on the list, the Patriots. This, to me, is intriguing. I don't think it happens. But if you think about a guy who is who would be wired if Brady, let's say, plays a year or two tops more, and is then done. Bridgewater, if anybody, would be wired for that job. Yeah. Like his mentality is perfect. Yep. He wouldn't come in and melt down or put pressure on himself. I think if you were looking for the transition and said, okay, if we're if we're gonna make one of the more difficult transitions that a team could possibly make, Teddy does make sense. He does, yeah. And even when um he's been in New York, I saw yesterday there was a report about how much he's helped Sam Darnold. And that's just classic Teddy Bridgewater, right? Like, Teddy was still giving a hand to Kyle Sloter when they weren't on the same team anymore. And yes, uh, last year he was on the sideline helping out Case Keenum with things that he saw on the film or on the big board or, Case or on the sideline. Yeah, then they worked out. They worked really well together. And then when Teddy finally gets back in the game, Case is leading the skull chant. That's how close they became. So. Bridgewater always has this ability to relate to just about any person. And if he was the one that was forced to be behind Brady, even though Brady clearly did not want Garoppolo there, Bridgewater could probably make it work. I think Brady would like him. Like, I I think there's a lot. Brady's got enough farve to him where I could see him being threatened. Um, But I think Brady would like him because he's such an even keel guy. Yeah. And he's not going to come in. He's going to be quiet. He's going to be respectful, but he's really, really smart. Number two on the list, the Denver Broncos. Awkward. Awkward. Awkward in in this sense. 
I think there's a real chance. If Keenum, if Case regresses to what we expect, yeah, I think you would have a chance that Teddy could step in there. I don't think there's any question about who the more talented player is of the two. It's always been about the knee, but Bridgewater is a first-round pick, and Keenum is an undrafted guy, and that's kind of what their talent reflects. I mean, I would say when it comes to uh, what Keenum did last year is very impressive, but will he be able to do that again? When Bridgewater was given much tougher circumstances, he still got a team to 11-5. and five. And they didn't even have the number one defense. They were good, but they didn't have number one. And he had to make a lot of big throws in big situations. He was great in fourth quarters. He was great on third downs. And I think if they had had maybe a little more progressive offensive coordinator, he would have had better you know, fantasy stats and all that stuff. Um, but when it comes to their pure talent, I don't think there's any doubt who the more talented quarterback is. So if you're the Broncos, maybe that's the thing you don't necessarily want to do because you signed Case, you paid him $20 bucks, and you kind of got to ride or die with him. Don't you? You can't bring in Teddy Bridgewater and then everyone... Yeah, except, your, ba- two bad except games, your backups are so bad that I think yeah, you could really maybe bad. justify it. But if, They've you, got but no if he backups. has two bad games, everyone's going to want Teddy Bridgewater. True. Yeah, I don't know, because... I see what you're saying, but I also look at their backups and, and say to myself, if Keenum gets hurt, which, which I mean, he runs enough, he could get hurt, right now, you're done. Like, there's nothing back there. What, uh, Paxton Lynch, Kelly? Lynch is a, is a joke. Yeah, he's like, completely falling He's not apart. an NFL player. Uh, and number one of the list, the team that we have been urging, that we urged to sign this Teddy months ago, and we talked about it again on Saturday, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Which I to me is yep. the easiest move in the history of the world. If you're Jacksonville, you go out and dare I say, give up a first round pick for him today. It's a lot to give up. I get it, but how you did not go out and sign this guy, a Florida guy? How did you not go give him a two year contract and say make good and at least compete with Blake? That's it. Should make no sense. They should have done from day one. I know. It makes no sense. And now it would be one of those situations where maybe you give Bortles like four or five weeks. If you don't look better than you've looked in the preseason and in camp, and for most of last year, he had a really hot stretch that was sort of random, and he's done that in his career. Mm-hmm. But his overall career quarterback rating is 80. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's oh, and we saw that 20 last week. games below 500. We saw it last week. So this is not a guy who's done anything to prove that he deserves this spot. And I think that it's going to Doug Marone is going to be having flashbacks. I think he's going to be saying this is exactly like when the Bills went all in on EJ Manuel and said, all he needs is weapons. But, it's all he needs weapons. And then they're playing Kyle Orton in week five. But who is doing this? That's my question. Like who is saying, Well, we took him, we took him really high, he'll be fine. I don't know when because does, if, when does somebody not say let's use some common sense here? He's, he, Blake Bortles is just just no good, and there are guys out there who we could get who could still help. And they're supposed to be like the analytics team, and Bortles has never even flashed being good. He's good at one thing; he is good in the red zone. All of his statistics across the board are brutal, except for he's pretty good in the red zone. Mm-hmm. If that's the only thing you're good at, that's not going to win you a whole heck of a lot of games because you actually have to get there. Bridgewater is twice the quarterback that Blake Bortles is, and it makes no sense to me why they wouldn't at least roll the dice there. And now with a team that is in so much win-now mode in Jacksonville, in an AFC that is pretty pathetic compared to the NFC. Oh, yeah. You've got a, a There's a lot of bad teams there. Yep.
It makes too much sense to me to just give the Jet, uh, give the Jets a phone call and get Bridgewater there and potentially be starting him if Bortles falls apart in the first four or five weeks. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. Pecking order coming up at uh, 10 o'clock. Zolgad and Collar until 11, at which point Mackie will be in. Jason Stark joins Talk Baseball at 11.30. Um, all right. Adrian Peterson. Why? I have like, no idea. And, because it's, and I because ask this on both Washington ends. Washington Football Club, Judd. That's why. Why? Because that's what they do. But doesn't he... Okay. That's what this they do. This is a rhetorical do. question because I, I know it's a dumb one. Does he have no idea he's done? Like I know he does, but how can he? How can you not look at yourself and say, "I don't fit in this league now"? And by the way, he doesn't even fit in their scheme. He doesn't fit in what Jay Gruden wants to do. Like I don't. I just. It's over. This. I don't think he'll make the team, but it's over. This screams like Jay Gruden is staring at the wall at night, going, "Why? Why? Why? Why did you do this?" Why did you do this to me, management? Yes. Because it's Adrian Peterson, and he's got a name, and that's what they've always done. Here's Adrian Peterson <laughs> since 2000, start of 2016 season. Has 193 carries for 601 yards, good for 3.1 yards per carry, along with 14 receptions at 5.6 yards per catch. And along, his longest reception is 13 yards since 2016. Yeah. I I'm, don't. I, there have been injuries along the way, quite a few of them. Matthew, he doesn't even fit into what they they do. And, and as uh, Golick said on the morning show today, the other thing is if you're as far down the depth chart at his position as he's going to be, you ordinarily have to play some special teams, which he's not going to do. Yeah, no. Like, there's no, there's no reason to do this. Yeah. I mean, in the last two years, he's basically had one good game. You would have been better off trading a seventh-round pick to the Vikings for Rock Thomas. Yeah, no, you really would have been. I don't know if the Vikings would trade him well, right I now. I don't They're know if they would happy either. with Rock but Thomas. But my, my point being is there's just guys who are going to be available. Yeah, you're right. This just, one, it's just sad. It's sad, and this is why I wanted him to quit playing, and I knew he wouldn't. He is. Go- this isn't going to end here. I, this is just going to keep going. Well, this is—I bet the Vikings were thrilled to see that because my guess is they have to choose between Mike Boone and Rock Thomas, and that I—I I think right now they would lean Mike Boone, but I'm not sure about that. So if they lean Mike Boone, okay, he makes the team, and then the other guy makes the practice squad, and then we see what happens from there, right? And they're happy with both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there would have been a chance that Washington could have picked up whichever one they cut on waivers because the guys have been so good. And I, and it's not just us. I mean, I've seen other national writers saying, like, oh, these two undrafted running backs are starting to stand out for the Vikings. So, you know, it's not just, hey, we see these guys every day and they've had some good moments. They both look like players. And instead, they're going to hire a guy who averages 3.1 yards per carry since the start of 2016. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but also it's classic Washington, this is, well, this is what why, they do. This, this team signed Jeff George to be their starting quarterback at one point. I know. Daniel Snyder medals, and it's sad because this is a franchise that should be really good, and they're not because of dumb moves, and that starts at the very top. 
But Adrian Peterson, too. So you are now going to bring in a guy who's going to come in. It's going to be the same BS, right? I'm in fantastic shape, and he will be. But he's going to come in with the whole thing. And and the thing about him is he's high maintenance. He's 33. He's broken down for the, for the most part as far as doing the job that he was once great at. And he wants the ball. Like, what's the advantage to doing this? Why would you dump this or put this person into your camp? It's just everybody should realize that he's just done. If Colin Kaepernick can't get a job, which is clearly collusion, then you would have a justifiable case to collude against Peterson to say he doesn't belong in this league now. Well, you don't have to collude against him. It's just he's not no, very I know, good now. But there should just be an agreement. No one signs him. He's just not any good. You're right. It just... It, Drives me crazy. There was only it one team. There was knows. only one team that could have done it. Why can't it was guys like this figure out when they're done? Why can't the, they? The team that picked up Dana Stubblefield and Big Daddy <laughs> Wilkinson and Bruce Smith, Hansworth, Albert Hansworth. Do you, do you remember classic? The, that story, the Hansworth story, is my favorite. It's back when uh, when the free agent market opened at midnight Eastern, and I swear to God, the story the story moved at twelve oh two. Albert Hansworth has agreed to like a ten year deal with Washington. It's Deion like, Sanders too, right? There was no tampering period there. Yeah. yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. But I mean, no. It, but it was just great because he had clear. They clearly had the deal done at the combine, and so like at twelve oh two, Washington agrees to, to deal. Oh okay, yeah, yeah sure. It took, it took them two, two minutes. minutes to write up the contract, but I mean, they have done that throughout their recent history of just continuing to pick up players who have a name that are not any good anymore, yep. and they just followed right along with that. Pecking order inspired by Peterson. That's up next. Mackie and Judd is Zolgad and Collar. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN.